We now go live to Zach waking up this morning. That's right. It's ghost time. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two against the wall. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. And this is... Totally the first time we've done this. <laughs> Third time's the charm, right? Oh my goodness. Well, I'm just so excited to talk Anthony Ghost that I can't hit record. Starting into it, they got to restart. I can't get the words out. I have that problem enough as it is. I'm just in all over the place this morning. But there's a reason for that. It's it's just the pure excitement of you being able to finally get the guy that you've been lobbying for to, to see him in the major leagues. Not just this year, but many years now. This is going on three years that you've been waiting for the Anthony Ghost <laughs> show to begin. And it appears we're going to get that as he is going to be promoted later today. If you ever wondered if this podcast is worth your time, if what we say is worth thinking about and believing in and agreeing with or passionately disagreeing with, just know, Saturday afternoon, I asked Chris Antonetti, you ever going to call up Anthony Ghost? And lo and behold, here he is. <laughs> and... <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> he throws 101. Because <laughs> they didn't have enough of that in the bullpen. Nasty slider. Now, is he going to throw strikes? I have absolutely no freaking <laughs> I mean, even that. in his best stretch, he's walked six guys in his, what, last 11 innings or something. But really, well, since he's come back from the Olympics, so he's been in a different dude. Like, just totally lights out. And he was on the, like, all-Olympics team. He pitched well in the Olympics. Since he's come back, it's been a little over a month now. It's been about five weeks. And he's given up one run. And that was his first outing back. So he hasn't given up a run in over a month. Um, And the walk rate has gotten a little bit better. He hasn't walked anyone in his last four outings. I mean, I know I'm using arbitrary tiny endpoints here and sample sizes just to try to make a point. Look, I don't know if this guy is going to be good, but I know one thing, two things. One, I'm intrigued by the stuff. That's why he made this transition in the first place. He was a major league outfielder. He's now a pitcher and he's got a really good fastball and he's got a breaking ball. That's got great movement. It's just, can he command these pitches? But I'd rather just get a glimpse of him then watch Blake Parker pitch every fucking day. 12 to 3 win on Wednesday. Who pitched? Blake Parker. Um, 11 to 3 win on Saturday. Who pitched? Blake Parker. <laughs> and 11 to whatever the score was. Yeah, Marlo Hale who pitched? in the dugout doing his best J. Jonah Jameson impression. Parker! Give me Parker! I just Give me don't pictures understand. of Spider Man. <laughs> I don't understand why they've. Give them credit for saying, hey, 
on the position player side, we want to go young and we want to give these guys opportunities and figure out if anyone's worth keeping in 2022. Obviously in the rotation, they've done that, but they only had young guys to begin with. But in the bullpen, they've really not made that commitment. And I understand DeMarlo Hale's position is, I'm the manager of this team. I have to do make the moves that are going to give us the best chances of winning. And Blake Parker has had a good season. And Brian Shaw has had a good season. Um, Nick Wickern has not. And I don't need to see those three every single night, no matter what the score is, too. I mean, these are blowouts. Why is Francisco Perez not pitched in eight days? How is he not getting into any of these lopsided games? So at least call up ghosts and let's see what this guy has and see if he can throw strikes and see if he can maybe command the baseball a little bit better after talking to Carl Willis and Ruben Niebla and Brian Sweeney because I would trust those guys with any pitcher. So it's a good environment for him to pitch in. They need answers because he's going to be a minor league free agent or he would have been a minor league free agent at the end of the year. He's out of options. So when I asked Antonetti, what's going on? This guy's pitched really well. Are you ever going to give him a chance? He said, they had had conversations about it throughout the season at different points, but it did complicate matters that being out of options because he used them all when he was um, a position player, He, if they called him up at one point and it wasn't working, they couldn't just send him back down. They'd have to designate him for assignment, expose him to waivers. I don't know that anyone would have claimed him, um, but you just run that risk. Yeah, I don't so know. they wanted to make throwing it... Throwing 100 miles per hour from the left side, I think someone would have given him a shot. Yeah, but... But again, you know, you're going to have to put him on, on your 40-man roster. I, I don't know. But the point is they didn't want to take that risk. So they wanted to call him up at a point when now you've got two weeks left in the season. No matter how he pitches, I don't, I don't think he's going to go down. Um, so it's good that he gets a shot. I just, like, well, he, he actually give him a pitch shot. the guy. Exactly. And he's 30, what, 31 now? So you kind of need to make some decision on him because, well, now he's a, he's occupying a spot on the 40-man roster. I don't know if it's fair that you're going to use some a handful of games at the end of the year to evaluate whether or not he's worth rostering beyond this year or someone that you want to bring back. But it's at least a lot more interesting than running out the same guys every single night. And if nothing else for... As the, the season winds down and you don't have to worry about looking at the standings, it's nice to have things that are interesting to watch in the final few games. The very bare minimum, Anthony goes is interesting as hell because you don't see too many guys transfer from being position players and not just like early in their minor league career, but flame out completely, then come back as a pitcher. And now they're throwing 100 miles per hour. Those stories aren't... Uh, all that prevalent. You got Shohei Otani continuing to do it as an offensive player and as a pitcher. But the stories of guys that actually have established major league careers and then come back. Uh, so that's what makes him extremely interesting. But I would like to just for a quick second, jump into the time machine here with Anthony goes as we're going to use all the 80s movies when he was drafted by the Philadelphia Phillies in 2008. In the second round of the 2008 amateur draft. So here's who he's been trade. He's been part of three trades in his career. In July of 2010, he was traded by the Phillies with Jay Happ and Jonathan VR to the Houston Astros for Roy Oswalt. Then traded by the Houston Astros to the Toronto Blue Jays for Brett Wallace. And then traded by the Blue Jays in 2014 to the Detroit Tigers for Devet Devon or Devin Travis. I can't remember. I know he was on the playoff team with the Blue Jays, then he got hurt. 
been part of three trades where major leaguers were exchanged. This is all part of his previous major league life, and now he's coming up as a pitcher. He didn't want to pitch. You know, he was he was throwing 97 miles an hour in high school, and it was easy for him. But he liked being able to do everything. Um, he ran track. Remember writing that the uh, his high school team, the baseball team, would delay the start of their games by like 15 minutes so that he could finish a track meet and then just hustle over to the baseball field and um, just do everything on the baseball field because he could hit. He stole bases. He loved playing the outfield. Um, so credit to this guy for you said it. I mean, it's it's one thing, you know, just how hard it is to make the majors doing something, one position, one having one task, and then to be to just totally remake yourself, even though you have the talent, when you haven't done something in a decade, and then you try to do it at this level, it's not like he was pitching in college and then pitching in the minor leagues as he was also hitting. I mean, this guy went from high school to professional baseball as an outfielder. So he picked it up, and it was not it wasn't like this was a seamless transition. Um, you look at the numbers, and the walks have been an issue, especially early on. He was with, what, Texas for a year, um, and it wasn't pretty. And, and then he comes to Cleveland, and if you're going to you know, if you're going to join any team trying to remake yourself and figure things out, it's you, you picked a good organization to do that. But even his first year, I think it was in Lynchburg and Akron, um, he walked a batter per inning. And then last year, he was stuck at the alternate site. So this has not been seamless where he's just like, oh, yeah, I still throw 98. And let me just blow hitters away and it'll be easy. Um, it's It's been a process. And I think... He, you know, he was he he was a minor leaguer. He re-signed with the Indians coming into this season, and I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming he's just comfortable, and and the team is obviously comfortable with their working relationship because he he could have gone anywhere, um, but he decided to stick with the Indians. And and you've seen over the last month, at least looking at the numbers, you've seen some progress there. Whether it's sustainable, whether it will translate at the major league level, I don't know. But I'd rather – there's no reason not to see if a 100-mile-an-hour fastball yeah. and a, a, an interesting breaking ball will translate at the major league level. Yeah, and at some point, I think you owe it to him to just give him the chance too. I mean, he's stuck around. He's been part of the organization for three years now. And you're right. You, If you're trying to remake yourself as a pitcher, you absolutely want to be with Cleveland. And you also want to be around the same pair of eyes or eyes plural for the, the length of that turnaround. You don't want to be going bouncing from organization to organization, them telling you, no, you need to focus on this pitch. No, you need to worry about arm slot. No, you need to worry about velocity. You don't want to be doing that. You just want to be sticking with the same organization to hopefully build you into being a capable major league reliever for however long this happens. And so if you look at the numbers, you're right. I mean, the walks are alarming. He's stranded 80% of the guys to end innings, and that tells you eh, it's probably walking a tightrope at times, especially when you are still walking 19.4% of the guys that you face. And that's what keeps the strikeout minus walk rate kind of, yeah, 14.6%. That's not really anything too special. But then you go a couple of columns to the left and you see he's striking out 34% of the hitters that he's facing. And so you understand how he's able to strand all those guys, because even if he gives up a walk or two in inning, 
the Anthony Go specials is probably two walks and three strikeouts in an inning and them trying to just muster some sort of offense against them. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know what he is going to be. I don't know if it's someone worth was- rostering beyond the end of this year, but what the hell you got to lose in the last couple of weeks of this season? Shouldn't, shouldn't he get that opportunity? Shouldn't you see if this is, this experiment has been worth anything because it's, some point he's going to be 30 what next year he's going to be his age 31 season because he just turned 31 so it's time to make some decisions on this is it someone that has been worth all the time and effort you put in or is it someone that just is kind of an interesting story but never really crosses the threshold of being someone that provides any sort of value for you um, i think yeah. i think there's no better time than right now when the standings don't really matter and the outcomes of these games is kind of secondary to just finding out who's a dude and who's not a dude are you sure there's no better time than right now, though? Like, might it have been a better time a week or two ago just to get just no, but to get a longer day. look at him so that because he's on the 40 man roster now, right? Yes. So you're trying to think of okay, who outside of Emmanuel Classe and James Karinchek and Nick Sandlin can be part of this bullpen next season? So in two weeks, how many how many appearances yeah. can this guy make where you feel confident enough? To reserve a forty-man roster spot for him all off-season. Yeah, and, and I don't going think into it, next year. Well, wouldn't you say it's not fair to even say that the, it's only about these final, whatever he gets in three, four appearances? You can't make sure. any and sort it's, of it's evaluation not be, on that, right? And it's not going to be okay. Well, he only gave up one run and only walked one guy, so he's on the team next year. But that's kind of the disservice that you did to yourself, and it's not just the team's fault. I mean, he was shaky very shaky early on this season. So you wanted to see if he could yeah. make, take steps forward. And it seems like he has done that. I just, it's, it's a tricky spot because, and, and it goes for like Hentius and Mejia and anyone else, Stefan. I think Stefan is probably a little bit safer, but ha- those other guys, like Hentius looked good in his one inning of work against the Yankees on Sunday in a blowout victory. But like, is that, are you taking anything from that? A few more of those? Are you more convinced that he can be part of the bullpen next year? I I don't know. We've talked about this a lot with the position player side. I think it goes for the bullpen too, where it's all about the input. And does it look yep. like this guy can be effective over 50 appearances next year? Um, it's, it's, it's a tough call. And it's even tougher when we're talking about precious 40-man spots. Well, I don't want to give the appearance either that it's easy to just say, in, in the middle of a game, when we can say from, from our perspective, who cares who wins this game, but, I mean, it matters to the players. It matters to the guy that's pulling the strings in the dugout, DeMarlo Hale. He, he can't just make every move based on some sort of evaluation period. He also wants to win games here. So I think it's it's probably unfair and maybe a little bit easy for us to sit here and say, well, stop pitching Blake Parker. Stop pitching Brian Shaw. When in the moment, I mean, you want to put your best arms out there to win games that you are capable of winning. That said, have there been opportunities for other guys to pitch? Yes, there have been. And should there have been certain games where a guy is losing it a bit, but you just need to stick with him and see if he can get himself out of it and not just pull the the safety net out every time you need to? Yeah, I, I think so. So it, it is a delicate balance, and I don't want to say that it's not. But ha- could there have been a better job done over the past couple of weeks? And I'm hoping that it carries over into the final few weeks of the season here. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because the bullpen is, I mean, the hitters, of course, there's going to be a lot of, of 
difficult decisions to be made. Starting staff looks pretty set. Bullpen really up in the air. And you have some interesting arms, but God, I don't know. I, can I separate Henches from Mejia from, from Logan, the other Logan Allen? N- no. And if I can see one appearance that greatly alters my opinion on any of the three, Am I really doing myself a service by using any of that information? So I don't know. It's tough. I mean, it was encouraging to see Henches get the opportunity, even if it is in a blowout. And it's great to see him go out there and pitch. But the the thing is, I want to see him pitch because he's been pitching like a starter for the entire season. Can I see this guy pitch like a reliever where he just, I don't know, focuses on throwing the the plus curveball that he has that has gotten results throughout the entire season, throughout a a long outing when he's worrying about throwing four or five innings or, or even deeper than that. He can't just go out there and, and I don't know, outside of Rich Hill, just throw every curveball and every count. But as a reliever, can he get away with that? Can he shrink the arsenal to one or two pitches? I want to see more of that. Can I see more of that? That's kind of what the theme should be for the bullpen, at least over the last couple of weeks. Totally agree. I just, I, Blake Parker is a nice guy. He seems like he's a little bit, uh, has a lot of strange energy when he's on the mound. <laughs> That's um, cool. I'm cool with that as a reliever. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't, he's 36. I don't, is he going to be part of your bullpen next year? No. I don't need to see this guy pitch every damn day. And no fault of his own either. He's been pretty good for, for what they signed him to be. I would, I would say that's a success. Would you not? Of course. And let him pitch. If you want to win games so bad, have him pitch the eighth inning in a one run game. That's fine. But these are opportunities like for, and I, I don't know that Francisco Perez is part of this team's future. I don't know. I, I have no idea what to think of him. I, we, barely seen him for him to not pitch in any of three blowouts over the course of five days and really even friday night when you're down when they lost eight nothing although that game was a little bit closer to the end but for him to not pitch at all in that stretch makes no sense to me and that's that's inexcusable because you're again who are you keeping who are you devoting 40-man roster spots to are you going to lose someone in your farm system to the rule five draft because you're deciding to keep someone on the 40-man roster that you maybe don't need to, and you could have figured that out if you would have given them opportunities. I mean, that's it, it's a delicate situation. It's a difficult thing to juggle, but they, they could be better at it. Yeah, for sure. We're on the same page there, and I, I hope that changes over the final two weeks, though, from what we've seen so far. I don't know that that's exactly the case. And none of that's not to say anything you see over the final two weeks should be the final determination. You take, like for Anthony Ghost, if he comes in here and just looks okay, or even if he strikes out everybody he faces, you don't throw away everything that happened in the minor leagues up to this point, and you look a little bit deeper. You see, are there elements in his delivery that have become more repeatable, and is that what has helped him command a little bit better? Is he always going to be plagued by walks? Is Is this someone that can continue to throw at this at this velocity level for the next several years. These are questions they have to ask themselves that can't be answered in a handful of appearances at the major league level, but still pretty awesome. Just looking at it from a, a baseball fan perspective, that story is pretty cool. Is there any cooler story than what Jose Ramirez continues to do when it comes to Cleveland baseball? Because I know it gets pretty easy to overlook when the offense has done what it's done all season long getting no hit. And can we just say it's no hit, not no hitted? Why can't I just say they were no hit? It's no hut. <laughs> Every time I hear it on the radio, I, I think, would it be no hat? They were no hat? Let's make any sense. No In any hat. case, yeah. well, it is awkward when it's been happening 
Jose Ramirez continues to put up MVP caliber numbers. He's not going to win the MVP, probably not even going to be a finalist. But we talked about this, I think, even on our most recent podcast. And since then, he had a good weekend in New York. And he just continues to hit in that ballpark and just continues to hit this year. I don't know how much it's worth that he's doing this in an offense that hasn't he hasn't had a lot of help. Like I, I'm not really concerned about the fact that he has 94 RBI on the year. I mean, whether he gets to 100, cool for him. I think, I'm sure he wants to look at the back of the baseball card someday and see 30, 100, and maybe 30 steals. But I don't really care about that. But is, does it mean anything extra that he's putting up a 140 WRC plus in an offense where pitchers can be a little bit more careful with him and pitch around him when need be? Sure. That was part of my impetus for voting him first on my MVP ballot last season. I think there were writers, remember reading people who were commending Jose Abreu for all the RBIs he racked up. And I just kept thinking, if you switch Jose Ramirez and Jose Abreu, is Jose Ramirez not going to have that many RBIs in that White Sox lineup surrounded by Jimenez and Anderson and Robert and all those guys? I think, let me phrase, let me put it to you this way. Tell me something Jose Ramirez is not good at. Um, being super serious in post-game interviews. I don't know. I, I can't think of too many things. I mean, he's, he doesn't strike out. He runs the bases as tremendously as anybody. It rarely makes base running mistakes. I believe he's like, he's really up there in base run. Fangraph's base running metric had him like, I want to say like fourth in the American league, maybe. Yeah. I'm just looking it up right now. Uh, he's fourth. Let me run the, take the qualified off. As of today, he is fifth in base running runs in the American League. And that's just that's a, a stat that accumulates throughout the year, like home runs, like RBI, throughout the year that just accumulates based on the, the level of, of production you do with your base running and steals and how efficient you are at that. So fifth in the American League in base running runs, the value he provides on the bases on top of being one of the best hitters in baseball and on top of having a really good defensive season, if not gold glove caliber season. Let's, let's, I, let's. I know it's not quite the level of offense he had last year in a short year, but this is one, again, you could say this any year, this has just been another prolific Jose Ramirez patented season. It gets talked about a lot that he's underrated, that people outside of Cleveland and even some people inside of Cleveland don't appreciate or realize how talented he is. And I think that's true, but I think it's more so people don't recognize. We see the home runs. He's got 35 homers. Um, he's going to at least challenge for a career high there. And, and people know he's, he's really tough to strike out his walks and strikeouts are almost even. That's pretty rare across the league, especially for someone who hits for power. Like he does. I think people recognize because the helmet's always flying off that he's a good base runner. But keep in mind, he's not fast. His sprint speed is 77th percentile, which is honestly better than I would have expected. But he's 24 for 27 in stolen bases. I mean, he's smart. He doesn't get caught. He, he's opportunistic. And you said the defense, 94th percentile, and now it's above average this year. Um, he was, last I checked, only Manny, Manny Machado had more defensive runs saved at third base. Than him this season, and it was by one. He very well could win the Gold Glove Award. Of course, when I tweet that, someone said, oh, he's got more errors and worse fielding percentage than he's ever had. First of all, I 
think the um, the number he's got like maybe 14 errors, which isn't egregious by any means. And a lot of those came early in the season. He had like eight in the first month. And more importantly, that's just not how to evaluate defense anymore. Um, it's an evolving process anyway, but errors are subjective. They are dependent on where you were positioned in the first place. And should you have even been able to get to that ball? And does the person sitting up in the press box in front of a microphone and a computer screen have a good and fair gauge of whether you should have gotten to that ball or not. Sometimes it's tough. It is very subjective. Metrics are less so. So if you're going to use the proper ways to evaluate defense, he has been one of, if not the best defensive third baseman in the American League this season. And he was one of the worst last year. So it's certainly something that he has improved upon. But also, he's consistently evaluated pretty well defensively at third base. I mean, 2017, 94th percentile outs above average, 2018, 79th, 2019, 89th. Last year, down to ninth percentile. And he was, it was rough. Uh, but he's rebounded this season. And it's just one of those things where, like, I think he's headed toward another top five MVP finish. Uh, he could win a gold glove. He could hit 40 home runs. He doesn't strike out. I mean, this guy, what is he not great at? It's unbelievable. And <laughs> yeah. come, going full circle here, I mean, he is he's certainly underrated and underappreciated. I've been working uh, really for months on a story trying to crack down on why that is and to learn more about his personality that maybe plays a role in this. It's not the language barrier. There are players who speak Spanish who are, I mean, Fernando Tatis is just like one of the faces of the game so quickly. And yeah, maybe he speaks... English more frequently in front of a camera. Um, but that it doesn't have to be that because if you know Jose's personality and you yeah. see how much trash he talks and how fun he is when he's on the field, it doesn't matter if he's speaking English, no. Spanish, Portuguese, Antarctican. It doesn't matter. I mean, tell so, me, tell me when you were growing up, all the players that you idolized and you pre pretended to be in the backyard, how many times did you watch a post game interview of them? Right. How many times? Oh, did you yeah. Care well, no. What, what so what you guys said. No, you guys were all in your backyard with your Easton metal bat pretending you were <laughs> Barry Bonds hitting the walk-off homer in Game 7 of the World Series. But I was Ichiro, and I was at a podium in my backyard <laughs> answering all the questions about how I felt that night. And no, I mean, it, it's you're, you're so right. And yes, you can help yourself with marketing by some of the things you say. Of course. Um, but... Like, remember Bryce Harper saying clown question, bro? That was a thing for a while. That was funny. That brought him attention. Um, I wish we had more stuff like that. But you're right. It, like, who cares? So that's not it. But the main point here is I think that it's very easy to overlook not just how good he is, how complete, how well-rounded of a player he is. And, I mean, I, I think the question that everyone's going to ask is, well, what's his future in Cleveland? And it's a great question, and we talked about it at length on this podcast. I just, I think the thing you have to ask is, do you believe that he can maintain? If he is this well-rounded, complete of a player, I mean, the season he's having now puts him square, firmly in the top 10 position players of baseball, right? Yes. So that would be worth whatever he wants for however many years he wants. And he just turned 29 the other day. So how many years can he keep doing that? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's a different part of the evaluation here, and it's not really what I intended to get into because I just wanted it more so to be about appreciation than 
depressing anybody thinking about the future. But when you look at a guy like that, that makes as much contact as he does and switch hitter and starting at third base on the defensive spectrum. So maybe can he move to first base later in his career? Is that possible for someone of him, of his stature? I typically see someone as short as he is at first base, but maybe they could make that work. Uh, I don't know. I have to look at first baseman. Maybe that's just uh, something I'm thinking anecdotally, and it's not even that um, that much of a thing. But you can think this is someone that's probably going to hit for the next several years. Uh, but that's not the conversation I wanted to have. As far as the the errors thing go, that's what makes outs above average so great because it accumulates or decreases throughout the year. So I can take the errors into account. If the numbers say he should have made a play and he didn't, he gets docked for that. And if he makes a play that an average third baseman doesn't, he gets something added for that. That number increases. So you can say, well, look at the the errors. Well, that's fine. Let's say he has this amount of plays. What was it? 13, 14 plays that he hasn't made this year that maybe he should have made all of those. But if he also turns around and makes, I, I don't know, 25 plays that the average third baseman doesn't make throughout the year. I mean, this is too simplistic of a way of going about this, but I'm just trying to make it that simple. He's still finishing above average. And if that number is above average or the most, if you take both ends of that spectrum together and mash it together, and he still has more plays made than anybody else with subtracting the plays that he didn't make, how are you saying he's not a great defender? That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, he's he's added 2% on the success rate on those balls. So estimated success rate of the balls, the ground balls that he gets hit, 72%. He's converted 74%. So 2% of the plays he converts that the average third baseman uh, is, is probably not. And he's got seven outs above average this year. So you take that into account. It's also subtracting for the plays that he didn't make. And he's still far more on the positive end of the spectrum than your average third baseman. So yeah, he is having a great defensive year, even if he made mistakes because he's making plays on the other end of the spectrum that make him truly a great third baseman. Yeah, but Jeff on Twitter said he sucks, so that's that. <laughs> I guess the eye test, man. I guess I guess that's it. I mean, you, yes, you remember all of the errors because he's a really good third baseman. It. I think Omar Vizquel had a couple of bad seasons and errors. And you remember that because he typically didn't do that when he was playing shortstop. Um, you know, Kenny Lofton, I think, had a, a season where he may, maybe made a bunch of throwing errors. It still won a gold glove because he's making tons and tons of plays out there even when you subtract for the plays that he doesn't make errors to begin with are, as you said, subjective. And you know, we've, we've seen some plays here recently where I think you Chang, they gave the third baseman an error. What was that? A couple of weeks ago. And he, he just scalded the ball and he, he gets an error. And then finally later they turn it around. I, I don't care about that kind of thing. Give me, give me some numbers on the plays that he makes above average. Let's follow it all together. And at the end of the day, I'll have a pretty good idea of who the great third baseman are or any position for that matter. And the numbers do not lie. He's been a really good defensive third baseman this year, even if you account for all the errors. So if he was facing Anthony Ghost, how would the at-bat go? <laughs> well, he's not going to strike out. Promise you that. I think he works a walk. I think that's what happens. Yeah, I think you're right. Then, but then what do we learn? Nothing. No, not, not too much. Not too much. As far as the the thought, I mean, I, I still can't wrap my brain around how much credit I give a guy for doing something in an offense where he doesn't have a lot of protection, because I think there are some mixed studies on that. Like, is lineup protection a thing? I think that gets complicated. 
So I, I'm not sure how much weight I truly put into that, but it doesn't hurt his case at all that he doesn't have a ton of, of guys around him that force the other team to pitch to him. And maybe it just speaks to how impressive it is. I, I know people on Twitter have said, why don't they just stop throwing the ball inside to him so often? Well, one, I think that's giving a little bit too much credit to the pitchers. I think we have this idea in our head that they're always hitting their spots and they really do not. Uh, if you're trying to hit the outside corner, there are times where it just comes back over the plate. It, it just happens. But also he's so good at being able to foul pitches off that are maybe outside the strike zone or just spitting on them and spoiling pitches that he doesn't want and getting the pitcher to fil- just filtering that ball into the area that he does want. So you just keep fouling it off or 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 not swinging at things out of the strike zone until until eventually that guy inevitably makes the mistake and he crushes it on the inside corner. That's what makes him truly so good is that he hmm. he's not only great offensively. Sorry, I had to pause as the school bus drove by, but he's also patient enough to get the pitcher to give in to his will. And I, I that's kind of overlooked because it's sort of a you have to look kind of deeper and, and think kind of more critically to get to that level. But that's an elite skill that he has that just not a lot of people do. It's hard to quantify because everybody knows what he wants to do. He wants to pull preferably a fastball on the inside part of the plate, right? Everybody knows it. All but two of his home runs, I think he's up to 162, 162 home runs in his career. 160 of them have been pulled. That's insane. And you would think, why don't you just not give him anything he can pull? And you said it, because he will just foul pitches off because he has an elite contact rate. He will lay off pitches out of the zone because he has a really good chase rate. And eventually... You're going to have to do something. Um, Now, he gets himself out at times. Um, You know, I had this debate with someone. You know, his BABIP's really low. And that would suggest he's had some rotten luck. And the rotten luck is different than maybe most people's rotten luck because everybody knows that he wants to pull the ball. So he gets shifted when he bats lefty. I think he shifted 97% of the time. Um, So... How many times have we seen him scald one, but it's right, it's just a short right field where there's a second baseman or a third baseman playing there, and it's it's an easy ground out. Whereas, I mean, think about it. If they put limitations on shifting, he might hit 350 because he can just <laughs> yeah. hit it to that hole whenever he wants or um, down the line or something. So, so I think there are some interesting elements in just the mind games and how he's so... He's so good at certain little things like just making contact, keeping at bats alive um, until he's able to get a pitch that he can do exactly what he wants to do with it. Um, that he he dictates the action, and that's so rare for any hitter, especially someone of his stature and someone who just has such an obvious game. And I've had people say, oh, well, why don't you just learn to hit the other way? And then maybe you wouldn't hit 260 and you'd hit 310 and it's remember in 2019 opening day the twins shifted the infield all the way around and they stuck four outfielders they stuck four guys in the outfield against him and he basically said what the hell is this and he slumped for months and he was one of the worst hitters in baseball and it was him trying to adjust to what defenses were doing to him and trying to go the other way and just getting out of sorts because it wasn't his 
approach. It wasn't no. his game plan. It wasn't what makes him good. And he got back to doing what he does really well. And ever since the second half of that season, he's been phenomenal again. And it's just, you have to stick with your strengths. And he's so good at neutralizing what the pitcher is trying to do that he can do that. He can stick to his strengths. And the pitcher, a lot of times, has to cave. And that's when you see, I mean, he hit one into the second deck in left field on Saturday, hitting right-handed. And then on Sunday, hits one into the second deck in right field, hitting left-handed off Garrett Cole. So, uh, yeah, he's, I, I asked you, tell me something he's bad at. <laughs> it's really hard to find. It is. You you are right. And the seven runs off Cole, that shouldn't go without note. Uh the most surprising thing we saw on Sunday, and that was still the Browns making a game of it with the Houston Texans. So th- I still think the seven runs scored off Cole. Maybe did they just rob him of the Cy Young on Sunday. He's got the ERA possible. above three. Hey, I'll tell you this. There was some scuttlebutt in press dining before the game when we saw the uh, the Indians lineup and saw who they were facing. <laughs> and I'm not going to name names, but somebody in the dining room at Yankee Stadium uh, was pretty certain that the Indians were going to get no hit on Sunday. So uh, they no did hat. the opposite of that. No hat. Yeah, to your point, finally here on the shifting. And I, and I think if Jose committed himself to being a, a guy that uses the entire field, I do think he would hit for a high average and he would probably turn into Ahmed Rosario without a lot of power. Yeah, he could still hit for 290, 300 batting average. And of course still would have the walks, but the slugging percentage would go way down. This guy is truly a great hitter because he does all of his damage on pulled fly balls. That's where you do a ton of damage. And, you know, it's easy for Fran Mel Reyes, who's hitting the ball 114 miles per hour, to just flick his wrist and hit the ball over the right field fence. That's not Jose Ramirez. He's not an elite hard hit guy. He's not a, a huge exit velocity guy. That's not how he's effective. He has to be effective because pitchers miss inside and he pulls the ball in the air and it finds its way over the fence. That's the way he's truly a great hitter. And if you look at the numbers just in the shift, 72% of the time he was shifted in 2019. The WOBA in the non-shifted at-bats was 452. The WOBA in the shift was 296. He loses some offense that way. In 2020, last year, he was shifted 91% of the time. He had a 473 WOBA without the shift, 351 with it. And in this year, as you said, almost 97% of the time. So I don't know how much weight you put into at-bats where there's no shift because there's almost none, but he's got a 685 Woba without the shift and a 371 with it. He's still a really good hitter with the shift. Clearly, he's going to lose some some offense that way, but you live with it because he's got the ability to hit 35 home runs over the fence. And so maybe he loses a few singles in the, the process, but the the big damaging blows, that's what you're living for. Wobra, indeed. <sighs> God. Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, and Spotify is where you find this. After that quip, you may not want to. Find us at Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Selby is God, yes. The floor is yours. Celebrate. Anthony Ghost is a Cleveland Indian. <laughs> oh, man. Just listen to this before he walks seven batters in his first appearance. And, uh, yeah. Ah! Good run. The Meisel curse lives on. For Zach Meisel, I'm TJ Zuppi. We'll see you later this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're out of here. Bye-bye.